Hey everyone, welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. I get this question a lot sometimes. It sounds a little bit something like, okay, Chris, I get it, but when we stop generating all of these MQLs that don't close, how are we going to keep our SDR team busy? That's that's literally the question that I get all the time, and we address that on this call. What people, when they ask that question, what they're actually asking is what is an alternative method to trigger outbound instead of marketing generating low intent leads? And we had, we talked about that on this call. Companies are making this change right now and moving to intent triggered outbound for companies that are in market to buy. Um, seeing some really good results with it. And when you do this as an organization, one, your sales team's going to be happier. Two, the o- overall organization's way more aligned to the business goals. And three, marketing gets freed up to go out and create demand, which is the most valuable thing that they could do for the company. And so this is a big change with a pretty tremendous potential impact. And so we're going to get into it right now. I hope you enjoy it. And now to this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the State of Demand Gen podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. And today I am thrilled to have on the show the SVP of Global Sales at Showpad, Dustin Dino. Dustin, what is going on? How's it going, man? Good good to chat with you. It is awesome to have you on the show. And I know we were talking a little bit before you got on here about this idea of companies that are thinking about transitioning from an MQL-driven outbound model to an intent data-driven outbound model. And I know that you've been implementing that at your company. And so what I foresee is that we're going to talk through, we're going to talk about maybe some of the things that you learn, some of the things that are working, just your overall perspective as a sales leader, I think is ultra valuable, especially from the marketing perspective. And so would uh, looking forward to diving into that with you. Yeah, likewise. And I've uh, paid attention to to all of your content and, and uh, for, for a long time and always appreciated your, your point of view as a marketer and focused on revenue. And, and so um, I'm really excited to have the conversation. Yeah. So let's get into it. I'm going to come out of the gates pretty hot on this one. And so like, what was the trigger to consider the move that you've made over the past six, 12 months on this? It's kind of an interesting story. I, you know, I had a, a long career at Salesforce and Salesforce has a, a really good, does a really good job of, of an outbound scaled model that, that is a ton of outreach and then I started to think about as I kind of advanced in my career, becoming a buyer, and and I'm sort of thinking about how I like to buy, and it definitely wasn't by someone just pounding me over the head with a bunch of useless content and 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 outreach that really didn't resonate. And I also started to think about like, yeah, I, I may be a a buyer of tech, uh, a lot of different technologies, but really timing is the biggest thing that drives whether I'm going to make a decision or even evaluate. And so I started to look at things by a couple, you know, sort of break down how I should look at who we go after. And it's really about intent and maturity. So like, where are you at in the maturity curve of your life cycle as a, as any IC ideal customer profile of who you're trying to go after and and what is your intent relative to the solution you offer? Mm -hmm. Those are the people that I want to talk to. And I've also seen companies do a really good job of selling to me because they they know that I'm starting to to research. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just fundamentally really excited because the last 12 to 18 months, I think in sales has changed more than it has in the last previous 10 years. Mm-hmm. And 
that I think was also an impetus for me to just be like, how can we just break this? And I think I, I felt like the risk was low because the foundation was completely cracking anyway. And so I, I really was just like, okay, like how do we really think about a modern way to prospect so that the experience will get more, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk through intent because um, there's a, a lot of different sources of intent. I think that some people that are listening to this podcast that are pro MQL, actually the people that are pro MQL probably aren't listening to this podcast. But anyway, um, I think those people would say that an MQL score or a content download is intent, right? So what I think what those types of people need to understand is from a sales leader's perspective, especially one like you, like the difference in the level of intent and the quality between triggering off intent data versus like a content download, like what do you see as the difference in your team's outreach with those two models? Yeah, and I think it's less about the platform you choose, but the mm -hmm. one thing that we do is we've looked at where we're successful in the past. And the, what our intent-based tool does is look at where we were successful and what were those people doing during that sales process that triggered an evaluation and then model that back and look at other organizations and people within those organizations that are doing the same behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so it groups those people in certain buckets, right? And then we assign responsibility from a team perspective on how we get people through that, that funnel, so to speak. And when you get people through that intent-based funnel versus like a certain number of clicks or downloads, it actually looks at the journey and what they were looking at in a much more intense way you can be so much more focused and narrow in your, your outreach and outbound that it's tailored. It almost feels like you know what they're they're looking for and you were there for them right when they needed you versus you know chasing them and beating them overhead with a bunch of calls and emails that, that aren't timely at all. So mm -hmm. um, we use that model to really guide everything that we do. Yeah. So how has the sales team responded to this change? The sales team first loved it because they could see what customers were looking at. They could see what they were actually cared about because our platform covers a lot of different areas. So understanding what they're actually looking for is, is a, a really important thing for us. So that was the first step. But then second, when we started to build the, like, the quantity of these through the, the funnel, the conversion rates were like 300%. Better than, than, yeah, than, than like a found or against content downloads or either. Both. So yeah. like our funnel without our intent platform was a third of as productive mm -hmm. as the one without. Mm -hmm. And so there's a bunch of things that go into that. But my point is, is like it was three X more effective for them to just only focus on those accounts that were in the buying process. Yeah. And so when that happened, that was really what made the sales team go kind of crazy over it. Yeah. And then, I mean, a secondary benefit to this, mainly for the listeners, Dustin, I think you know this, but a secondary benefit and why I think that it's good for a sales team to move on this one, 300% better sounds pretty good, right? Yeah. Secondarily, it frees up your marketing team to go out and start driving demand in the market, which makes outbound work better and driving high intent leads through the website. It's a pretty interesting model. would love to hear how you reflect on that. Well, it, I mean, you talk a lot about it and that's why I absolutely, and that's why we've engaged at Showpad because you've you help us build that funnel from, it's not just marketing and then sales. It's like, what's the buying process that people go to? And we're focused on revenue as an organization. And like, we're focused on customer success as an organization. And it all starts at the beginning. And so we're able to analyze how our customers buy from us 
and just be there for them at every step of the way, the way they want us to engage. And so that collaboration between us and, and marketing is, has become much tighter because it's not about vanity metrics. Mm-hmm. It's about what actually works <laughs> and drives success. And, and it, it takes a lot of pressure off the short term and builds a very repeatable path to revenue. So now we know that if we get this many people here, that there is a very tight path to revenue on the, the back end. And so mm-hmm. it's a much better team alignment. It, it makes people focus on the right things because we're not just creating all this content and all this stuff for no reason. There, there's a path to it. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about a lot of awesome things, but would love to kind of like pull back the curtain and maybe talk about some of the challenges, right? Like moving an organization of your size in this type of like, I would call it a go-to-market strategy change. Must have, I mean, there must have been some type of hiccups. So we'd love to hear that so the listeners can learn. So the first hiccup is you have to operationalize this down to the CRM level for your sales team. So the operational details that you'll have to build into to whatever CRM you're using so that the reps know exactly who to follow up with when and make that a priority-driven exercise so that they are following up the right way because it's a new motion for them, right? Mm-hmm. Completely different way of thinking. So that's the first thing is all, don't underestimate the, the operational burden because I think we did a little bit and we had to spend a, a ton of time figuring that out. Second, definitely don't underestimate the change management. I mean, you're changing a whole, you know, from behind the cloud back, what, 15 years ago when it was like more volume equals more revenue. (laughs) Like you're changing the mindset of people that have been probably doing this for a long time. And that takes a very brave leadership team. It takes a very, you have to be really focused on the, the future and believe that it's the right way to do it. And if you don't, Think about that change management. I think you're going to have some pocket vetoes because it sounds great, right? And then if you have one person of that chain not really get behind it, it can be a disaster for you. So those are the two lessons I think we learned is, is you really have to spend time getting everybody on board up front and then you got to operationalize it. Mm-hmm. Any strategies that you found helpful to get the executive team aligned. I'm sure that there are some executive marketing leaders listening to this podcast, trying to navigate yeah. something like this. Like this might not be particular to you, but maybe more just like management lesson. Like what are some strategies on that? I think the aha moment for our executive team was when you talk about thinking how you buy stuff, mm. like we're so internally focused on how do we sell to other companies? Then you flip it around. It's like, we all, we're all buyers of technology or whatever we're selling. And so what does that process look like for you? Is it a good process? Do you feel like it helps you as a buyer enable yourself from uncertainty to transformation? Because that's what we're trying to do here. Mm. So when we started to have conversations and challenge the way that it's been done from the other angle, that's when I think it was the aha moment for the executive team. And then um, pushing that down all the way through the organization was, was another challenge. So over communicating this, this strategy was an, a big piece of it as well. So mm-hmm. I say flipping it and then the communication cadence as you start thinking about the adoption strategy and getting those other stakeholders like your AEs, your BDRs involved in that, that process and saying like, hey, what risk do you see here? How would you do it? A lot of times those BDRs and AEs will, will really know like the tricks of the trade around how they do everything all day long. And so you, you can't underestimate their input either. 
Yeah, one thing that I think you all have done really well is, I mean, there's a lot of things that you've done well, um, but I think one of the things that I've observed is on the the planning process, um, especially as you went through like some of the dashboard builds and things like that. But one thing that I found interesting is that you basically built four separate funnels. There's like a high intent website funnel. There's an engaged, which would be like six cents outbound based on intent. There's a cold outbound. And I think that there's one more. I recommend this to people because I think it's super smart, right? And then there's different conversion rates on each thing. Your high intent website funnel is going to have different conversion rates than engaged outbound, which then helps you think about planning and resources. Anything to share on that one? Because I think there's a ton of learnings for people. Uh, thank you, first of all, for helping uh, uh, you know think about that because it's a tremendous help for us to look. Because when you look at everything in one massive funnel, it's it's really hard to triage and understand where the gaps are. And it's also hard to plan to hit your targets. Mm-hmm. If you're 200% on your, your high intent web form, but like in enterprise that doesn't convert and you're 20% at kind of engage, which does convert, like you could look at the overall metric and you, oh, we have uh, plenty of pipeline. And next thing you know, at the end of the quarter, you've, you've missed your target for the end of the year. And so this tremendously helps us understand where to go. And it's all data-driven. There's no anecdotal conversations about, well, this happened or that happened. So then if I have like my outbound BDR funnel, you know, those conversion metrics, I can now focus on them specific to that funnel. And I can enable my BDRs much better. And same with the AE-generated pipeline. I can enable those teams to find the right deals and spend their time wisely. So it's much easier to diagnose and solve than lumping it all together. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of things that just popped in my head. One um, is a question about, uh, you mentioned AE sourcing, like would love to talk through how do you think about that? Some companies are like, AEs don't source any of their stuff that comes through marketing SDRs. It sounds like you're in a different camp. I think we're on the same page here. So I'd love to hear more about it. You know, at Showpad, we... We definitely play in the enterprise all the way down. So as you you move down the the segments, there's a less of a an AE creation burden on, mm-hmm. on that AE because there's such a high converting you know inbound model there. We've engineered that so well that it, you know it's a very predictable business. But as you move up market, there 100% should be a burden of pipeline generation. If you're not in the mode of manufacturing ARR as an AE, you're probably going to have a short tenure as an AE. I love that. <laughs> you have to be a pipeline creator, at least to be you know part of my team. And I think that that's, that's the AE going forward, the AE that can challenge businesses to think differently. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're using all of the, the conversations and the, the engagement that our, our team is creating to understand how to go after that in a smart way. But... Yeah, it's important that AEs have that skill set for sure. Mm-hmm. So let's say that there's a lot of people thinking about making this transition, specifically on the in- intent data outbound model. Mm-hmm. We see companies moving on it. Honestly, I think that your company has adopted it more rapidly than what we're seeing in the market. So that's good. And so what would you say to like an executive that's weighing this decision? You have to go all in. That was the thing that I, I noticed that if... If we did a little like test here or trial there, it, it really takes the whole team to say that we're going to build 
our primary source of pipeline off of people that have are in market. Mm -hmm. We're going to design the rest of our outbound and everything that we do about trying to nurture people to get in market. So understanding where they are in that buying process and identifying ways not to sell them Showpad, but to sell them to get to the next stage of the buying journey. Mm-hmm. Sell them on the on the problem, sell them on solving the problem. Right? And then once they're in the evaluation, we're not trying to sell them on Showpad either. We're selling the evaluation of Showpad, mm-hmm. right? Does it make sense for you to evaluate us is really the, when we first have that first conversation, is we identify a little bit of the challenges and then it says, do you want to evaluate? So right then it's it's a very direct question with a very direct answer. And it's like, here's what it takes to evaluate you know, a platform like us. And we mm-hmm. walk through and we sell that evaluation process versus selling Showpad. Mm-hmm. And, and the whole goal is what you're doing, if you focus on it like that, you're taking a, a customer from uncertainty, which is kind of where they're at probably, to, to transformation. And that's the real path to do it. You're not selling them a software or technology if you really think about buyer enablement across the whole funnel. Yeah. Love the idea of selling to companies that are in market, right? Like makes a ton of sense to do that. And also makes a ton of sense to be doing however you want to call it, nurturing, demand marketing, or even some some forms of like salespeople doing marketing. I'm not sure what I would call that, but like that's happening, right? Any form of that so that when those accounts move into buying cycles, more of them see your brand as the preferred brand. Exactly. That's the winning formula, right? What most people have also done is they've hired too many salespeople because they're basing it off of not intent-based conversation. They mm-hmm. made their teams too big. So then there's being annoying. And the next time that that customer thinks about buying something, it's yours, the last technology that they, they think of because it wasn't a good experience. Yeah, I see that at seed stage companies, but you also see it at, at larger um, mid-market enterprise companies. What's the solution to that, right? So there's, it's like, We've had Mark Roberge on the podcast. Mark Roberge was talking a lot about how to understand product market fit and then don't scale sales before you have product market fit. So there was like a lot of talk on that. But let's talk more from the sales leader's perspective, like what you would do if you ended up in that position. Yep. His, his books right at the, the top. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I very much subscribe to, to, to Mark and yourself. So fully aligned. You know, when you're in that position, you really have to, to think about resource allocation in the right way. Because, you know, there's a ton more pressure from VCs to drive growth responsibly. There's a ton more pressure from CFOs, even without the VC pressure, to drive that responsibly. So how you allocate your your org, and we've also made shifts from one market to the other, one segment to the other and headcount based off this information. So a lot of things, like what we've done is, is tried to, build as flexible of a headcount model as possible. So a lot of organizations, they'll like set their headcount at the beginning of the year, and that's the capacity that fuels the quota. And that is like set in stone, right? But then what happens is the West Coast territory gets like a million inbound leads and like they're like, you know, living like kings because everything's fine and dandy and the, you know, Iowa is getting crushed because nothing's coming in. And that capacity doesn't make sense, right? The team covering centrals. And so what you have to do is we've built this flexibility model into, and it's based off productivity, very much what Mark says. So we'll shift headcount if I'm seeing things, you know, I have 
you know, typically each team has some capacity flexibility because of churn or, or promotions or whatever it is. So we we very much in real time look at where that headcount allocation is. Uh, and so that's one way we've been able to, to mitigate that problem, but it's it's not easy. That also puts a ton of pressure on your people team and your recruiting team. So all of this is basically focused on just being more agile mm. as an organization. And like, you have to get the whole company thinking about that. And, you know, we're not perfect at it and it's taken us, you know, a year and a half, two years to do it, but the, the results are starting to show and, and that's what's exciting. Yeah. I love that. You mentioned anecdotes a little earlier in the call. Any success stories you can share with people? There's got to be the, you know, big enterprise customer. We sense the data, we slid into their deal. We'd love to hear if there's something, <laughs> something like that. that, that happens. One, of the, one of the biggest, or the I think the most interesting stories that we have around intent actually doesn't even happen to do with a deal. It has to do with a churn. Mm. So we saw intent from a current customer looking at another platform and we saw it ahead of their renewal and reached out. We saw what they were looking at and, and we, we reached out and saved the churn. And then there's countless examples. I mean, one of the biggest deals we closed this year, what was so amazing is this company kind of popped up in the and intent as, as in the, that decision and purchase phase. And everything that they were looking at was very much focused on rep effectiveness. And we aligned all of our messaging squarely along that the entire time. And when they, like, I was literally on a call and the, the champion was like, man, it seemed like you guys like knew our problem before we even talked to you. I almost want to be like, well, we kind of did. And it, it's kind of creeping away, but it also like it removes such a big, and you know, that was a couple hundred thousand dollar deal that we did because, and the competition wasn't even in the, the fight at that point. Yeah, We had diagnosed what their problem was so early. And so a lot of these tools are really powerful, but it also takes such a burden off of your enablement of your team. Your team doesn't have to be these amazing discovery artists on that first call because they have so much more information, right? Like, and, and buyers are kind of protective of that data. So there's there's countless examples of how it's changed the the way we've we've sold um, deals and that that one deal where I remember the lady. She's like, it was kind of weird. Like you guys knew. <laughs> what we were actually going after before, and it wasn't had it, nothing to do with features or functions. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, there's plenty of of examples of that. Yeah, and I think if like with approach with the right intent and in the right way, it's 100 percent good, right? Like it's not creepy, like it's good. Yeah, yeah, 100 percent awesome, Dustin. So if you've listened to the podcast, which I think you have, yeah. um, then you'll know what's coming next. So if you have a couple questions for me, you can feel free to fire them my way. Chris, I've I've always, from the the second I started watching your your content on LinkedIn, I've always appreciated. You know, as a sales leader, you know, there's been this kind of like divide between sales and marketing for for many years, and I often think that like salespeople think all marketing does is arts and crafts, and all marketing thinks salespeople are just overpaid bros, and, and there's this like issue between the two, and I, I think that's slowly going away, but. What I've always loved about your approach is this, this focus on, on revenue and focus on actually what works and abandoning all of those clicks, downloads, MQLs. Similar to the question you asked me at the beginning, like what made you kind of have that epiphany 
um, because I think it's extremely valuable for people to, to learn from. Yeah. So I was, uh, for two years, I built a, a demand function, the foundation of the model that we have today that's been iterated on a lot um, at a venture funded startup called Vapotherm. Um, that company was, and I believe still is, a very sales driven organization. So when you think about budget allocation, it was like 90 10 sales to marketing. And so the balance was in that way. And so I started with a $500 budget to run Facebook ads. And I ran Facebook ads and I collected four leads from the campaign and one lead of closed, not like 60 days later for 50K ARR. And I went back and said, here's where we're going. And so it was just the, it was the culture of the organization, I think, along with needing to spend a lot of energy trying to figure out how am I going to, I know this is working better than what we're doing right now. What type of information or data can I pull out of our own business data to present to them for them to understand what I already, what I see. And so there was a lot of work in there, which I think is why I'm like all of the nuances that I see in the data and different things like that. I spent a really long time to figure out that like inbound sales cycles are shorter and it's not just like at one, it's not like at one company, it happens across the board. If you run like the same sales process and you have the same accounts. And so that's how I, how I got to it. And when I left that company, and I saw what was going on in the SaaS world and technology, and it was like still measuring on leads. Yeah. And so I was just looked at it, saw a huge opportunity. Um, I thought my thinking was common. And I think uh, it's interesting to think. And then you start talking about it and you're like, wow, the things that are in my brain are not common, actually. <laughs> I feel like that all the time. Like it makes sense, but uh doesn't seem like a lot of people are doing it. That's great. Next question I has like you, you're you're talking to organizations like us all the time to to try to help people implement your your strategy. What's the biggest you know roadblock you get or uh, around adopting kind of your what I would call modern approach to to revenue marketing? So we've been getting a lot better at working with companies that sort of like you as an executive team, just believe that this is the way of the future. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like, that's perfect alignment in our view. Not every customer is like that. And even with those customers, the place right now is on measurement. And so, and on the measurement side, it's not because we use marketing source holistic funnel. It's very clear how much revenue you're sourcing, how much it's costing and things like that. It's on the, it's at the channel level. And so, and then I'm getting a lot better at explaining this now. And I have a clear picture of the solution is that attribution software is built to measure capturing demand digitally. So it favors Google and uh, referral sources and direct traffic, places like that. It's very poor at measuring the impact of a podcast. It's, it's poor at measuring a lot of the touch points that buyers are having right now as their main channel of either consuming content or getting a referral to decide what to buy. And so we have implemented several structures, basically like the project that we have going on right now is we know what's going on at Refine Labs and our data. It's very clear that what we're doing in marketing and what's driving the needle and what's being shown in enterprise level attribution software is not the same. And so now it's how do we create a system of attribution that's built on common sense to be able to track this and present a report that would would hold water in a $500 million ARR company. So we're doing that on ourselves right now. We're using self-reported attribution. People tell us on our 
quote unquote demo form every time, LinkedIn, podcast, word of mouth referral, Slack community, whatever. So we have that point. Also working in like other touch points in survey data. So measuring how many people believe that your brand is the preferred brand in periods of three or six months at a time to see if that number is going up and also where people are discovering information, how they view you, brand recognition, recognition to concepts. So we're starting to put together this, what do you call it? It's an additional, it's not a replacement to what's happening right now. What's happening right now serves a very good purpose. It's adding an additional layer that covers all the things that that tool can't do. Uh, that's definitely how I found you. The LinkedIn and then direct message and then next thing you know. <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, it's working for sure. So that's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And so given some of like the privacy policy changes on in digital that are happening right now and some of the changes with cookies and all that, like digital tracking is going to get less effective and less accurate, not better. And so we're starting to put the the hooks in place of we're not going to be able to measure directly the amount of demos on Facebook ads. And if that's the reason that you don't want to run Facebook ads, then that's a bad move. And so <laughs> it's it's just trying to build a system because we know that they work. So it's just building a system where we have a better sense of tracking so that when a CFO asks what we're doing with $100,000 a month on Facebook, and we know that there's 200 demos coming through Salesforce, we just say, yeah, out of the 200 demos, you know, 50% or 50 of them total said they heard about us through Facebook. Yeah. It's great, man. It's good to, to be fighting the front lines of, of how to do it in a modern way with you. So you love all the things you're doing, man. Awesome. Dustin, it has been great to have you on the show. Appreciate you joining. I know that I learned a ton during this call about some of these transitions on intent data. I'm sure a lot of the people listening on this call did too. And perhaps like we talked about at the beginning, if you're a marketer, maybe this would be a good episode to send to your head of sales. So with that, Dustin, really appreciate you. Look forward to catching up again soon. And thanks for being on the show. Take care, man. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.